Um, If you don't know me, my name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel, and I would want you to know I love being a part of a church like that, where we get to celebrate our collective generosity, making an impact on our community uh, for Jesus. And so I appreciate you guys clapping, but that's just our collective efforts in in helping foster families locally. So way to go, Genesis Church. I want to say hello to our friends that that are joining us online today. A special hello to Bud and Linda Wall. Bud, I I know you wish you were healthy enough to be here with us, and we hope to see you in person sometime soon. Hello to the Vaselli family, uh, the Matlocks and the Grams. Again, we hope to see all you guys soon. And for all of you tuning in with us, drop us a comment. Let us know where you're watching from and uh, interact with us during service. So a few weeks ago, I discovered the story of a man, pretty interesting. His name is James Bartley. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He lived in the late 19th century. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, now, when was that? That's just the late 1800s, okay? I'm not good with that stuff, but the late 1800s. And according to reports, Bartley was part of a whaling expedition off the southern coast of Argentina. And whaling is just like fishing, except the fish are a lot bigger. They're trying to catch fish. Well, while they're out there, a whale attacks their boat. And get this, in the chaos, Bartley falls overboard and is swallowed by the whale. And all of his shipmates are like, he's dead, he's gone. And, but they have to continue on with their job. And so for the next couple of days, they go on about whaling and they catch and kill a whale. They pull it up next to the ship. They begin skinning it, whatever that looks like. Okay, imagine skinning a whale. And while they're skinning the whale, they notice that there's something inside this whale that's moving. It's alive. And they're like, what is this? We gotta know. And they cut it open. And James Bartley, their shipmate, fell out. And according to reports, he was in a state of delirium, and he'd been in there for about 36 hours. And so apparently his skin was bleached white. The acid, the gastric juices from the whale had eaten his eyes away, so he was blind for the rest of his life. But can you even imagine what this would have been like? Now, Bartley's story uh, hit the newspapers in 1891 in St. Louis. And it was republished in New York and made its way all around the world to England. This story about this man uh, that had been swallowed by a whale. Pretty fascinating, right? But there's a lot of speculation on whether or not all that's true. I mean, how how could we know, right? I mean, it wasn't on social media, so it couldn't have been real or, or accurate, right? Well, I just want you to take a moment. Like, if you've ever wondered, could that, is it possible for a human to be swallowed by a whale? Well, I don't know. Check this out. So you're there, you're in Southern California, you're on the water, beautiful day, the birds are doing their thing, and you're just in your kayak soaking up the rays and looking around, and what do you do about that? (laughs) Now, we had to edit out some choice language from the lady in the boat. She was shocked. She's like, oh my, can you even imagine So if you're ever on a kayak and that happens, you just paddle really fast to get to shore. You don't want to be involved with that, right? Now, according to, from what I can tell, that happened late last year, and that person resurfaced shortly thereafter. They were fine, and in my limited research on this topic, I'm a little bit of an expert over the last two weeks, a little more than you at least. Most modern-day humans, just so you know, that get swallowed by a whale get released shortly thereafter. But if for fun later today you want to Google swallowed by a whale, there's all kind of cool videos. There's a video of a lady who happened to have her phone out and she got swallowed by a whale and you get to see the sights and the sounds and everything but the smell. Pretty amazing, right? But I want to go back to Mr. Bartley's story, okay? According to reports, 18 years after being swallowed by a whale, he died. 
And this is my, one of my favorite parts of the story. On his tombstone, it simply reads, James Bartley, a modern day Jonah. Now, if you can't tell where we're going yet today, that's a little bit of a hint. Since the beginning of the year as a church family, we've been reading through scripture together. And lately we've been in the Old Testament, the minor prophets, and I don't know about the rest of you. I'll take the hit on this one. It's just kind of hard to follow. It's not the most encouraging reading. It, it just is a little weird. And Jonah is one of those one of those prophets. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you right now to go ahead and open up the Old Testament and find the book of Jonah. It's not necessarily one of the easiest books to track down. It's easy to pass up if you're using a paper copy. But while you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about Jonah. Jonah was a prophet for Israel that lived during the reign of King Jeroboam II. So he, he was alive roughly around 800 to 750 BC. King Jeroboam II was a terrible, evil king, and Jonah is actually a prophet that prophesied to him. In fact, in 2 Kings 14, this is really important, 2 Kings 14, Jonah is mentioned by name as being a prophet. Now, this is important because Jonah's story is so strange that the fact that he's mentioned in 2 Kings tells us he's an actual, real person. And you might think, well, why is that important? Well, if you don't know anything about Jonah's story, here's a spoiler alert. Like James Bartley and like Pinocchio, he was swallowed by a whale and was spit up on the shore three days later. So we know he was a real person, but there's so many questions about this particular story. Could that really happen? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. How would a guy live in the stomach of a, of a whale or a big fish for three days? And let's just be honest, this is where a lot of people check out on scripture, right? They're like, and, and you, this is why you Christians are so weird, because how can you just take this at its word? Is that possible? And I get it. And, and if you are a skeptic and you're tuning in with us or you're here on a regular basis, I want you to know it is okay. All of your questions and all of your doubts are welcome here. You should ask questions and check facts. In fact, I would invite you to, to let's, let's sit down and have coffee. And I'm not even going to try to answer your questions. I would just love to hear your story. But my whole point in saying that is it's okay to be skeptical of these stories. But let me say this. It might be worth noting that all those weird Old Testament stories that are just bizarre, it might be helpful for you to know that Jesus referred to them as being real and historic. And with Jonah's story, Jesus doesn't just refer to Jonah. He refers to the, him being in the belly of the fish for three days. And he says, that's important because that tells us about something that's going to happen again in the future. But if you're a skeptic, you're thinking, that doesn't help me because Jesus is a biblical character. So I just put it all together. So let's just assume you don't like Jonah. I'm going to give you a really good reason to not like him, okay? It all really boils down to this. Jonah was a huge hypocrite. And no one anywhere wants to be known as a hypocrite or likes hypocrites. So as we jump into Jonah's story today, I'm, I'm kind of excited, and here's why. Because for those of us that read God's word and we're like, yeah, I think God could do this, and I think this is real and accurate, I'm excited for you in a very weird way because you're going to be confronted just like I was with the fact that just like Jonah, you're a hypocrite. Whether you realize it or not, we are all hypocritical. And I hope through Jonah's story as we read this today, it, it hits and pierces and you think, hmm, I got to do something about that. But for those of you that are skeptical, for those of you that are like, I don't really know about this religion thing or Jesus I get it, but I'm excited for you because if you can put an asterisk next to the whale, let's set that to the side. What you're going to get to see in Jonah's story is a picture of God's love and mercy and grace for people that rebel against him and that are far from him. So I want to take a moment, and I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit's help to open God's word up to us, and then we're going to jump right in. So would you pray with me? 
Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we admit that stories like Jonah um, and in a lot of the Old Testament prophets, they're hard for us to wrap our mind around, but that doesn't take away from what you did then and what you're doing now. And so we ask for your eyes and your ears. As we jump in to Jonah's story, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds up to whatever truth you want us to learn from this story? Father, would you help us to learn we can trust your word because it comes from you and it has proven itself to be true over and over and over again. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. So here's how the book of Jonah begins. The Lord gave his message to Jonah, son of Amadi, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And so right away, the book begins with a really clear directive from God, Jonah, I want you to go to this city and to speak out against its wickedness. Very straightforward. And just in case you're wondering, Jonah wouldn't wonder where Nineveh was. Nineveh was a powerful Assyrian city. It would go on to be the Assyrian capital. But get this, biblically, like here's a little historical thing to note. It's believed that the Tower of Babel back in Genesis 10, where the people rebelled against God, was the, it's the same city, Babel, Nineveh, long history of being rebellious and wicked against God. Interesting note to the story. Now today, it's modern day, the modern day city is Mosul, Iraq, okay? So if Jerusalem's here, Mosul, Iraq is here. It's about 550 miles to the east. And so Jonah, I'm gonna guess, is somewhere over here and God says, I want you to go there. He wouldn't have had to guess. This is a really popular giant city. This is a really important man for a really important guy. And God says, Jonah, you're my man. Well, let's look at Jonah's response. In Jonah chapter one, verse three, we read, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Pay attention. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. If you want a fun word to say with people, say Tarshish. It makes you feel like it's kind of jumbled in your mouth there. That's where he is going, okay? Now, there's a lot happening in this verse, but pay attention to the word down. That's going to come up over and over and over again. But here's the question, where or why Tarshish and, and where is it? Well, here, let me show you in a map. If you uh, look this up, Tarshish actually is believed to be right over here, okay? And, and this is the, the western part of Portugal and Spain. Here's what you need to know about Tarshish. It was the westernmost point in the Mediterranean world, okay? Let me translate. It's the furthest place you could go to get away from anything God told you to do. If God says, I want you to go to, to Nineveh, well, if you went over here, like you literally run out of real estate. And so that's what Jonah is doing. And in, thanks to Google Maps, we learned that this is about a 3,200-mile walk. I don't know how long it would take to go by sea that far, but he wanted to get as far away. He wanted to go on a long trip of disobedience. Now, look at, so let's go back to Genesis 1-3. Pay really close attention to these details. Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction, hoping to escape from the Lord. So God says, you go do this. And he's like, I don't think I'm going to do that. In fact, I'm going to do the exact opposite. Hey, kids, that's not a good idea. If, if your parents tell you to do something, don't be like Jonah. Don't rebel to that degree. And at first you might assume, well, maybe he was afraid. Maybe he was afraid that, that he was going to fail in this great mission that God has given him. Big, powerful city, wicked, wicked people. If you're like, okay, well, how wicked were they? Well, according to 
things that I read, think of ISIS and the way they treat their enemies. The people of Nineveh were that wicked. They were known for being terrible, awful people. But here's the thing, Jonah wasn't afraid to fail. If you keep reading in the story, we learn that Jonah was actually afraid to succeed. And if you keep reading the story, here's what you learn. Jonah eventually obeys. He goes to the city of Nineveh. He preaches against its wickedness. And all the people in the city, they actually turn to God. These wicked, awful people turn to God. And you would think that Jonah would respond well. Well, look at what we learn in Jonah 4.1. This change of plans, the fact that these people turn back to God, these wicked, awful people, uh, uh, that greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? I knew it. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Now, I learned this. I, I did not know this before. Fascinating fact. Jonah, right here, is actually quoting back to God from Exodus 34 and Psalm 86. Jonah had the nerve to quote God's word back to God about God's amazing character. I knew you would save those wicked people. That's why I went in the opposite direction. And so the award for the biggest hypocrite in all human history goes to Jonah. Let's give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, what a turd, right? What a turd. He refused. He hated these people so much that he refused. He wanted to go in the opposite direction. Now, let's just stop for a moment and celebrate that none of us treat people that poorly, right? I mean, we might not be perfect. We might not always get along, but we're not that terrible, right? As long as there's not somebody driving in the fast lane that refuses to get into the slow lane. As long as there's not somebody in front of us that rides with their blinker on for hours at a time. And let's not forget about the archaic peasants that still write checks in the grocery store line. Like, don't they know that we have places to be? Or here's one, what about the person in the office that hits reply all to the message when you could just hit reply to the one person? But like, what is wrong with these people? And I think we would all agree that people like that should be banished to a lifetime of cleaning porta pots with nothing but their bare hands and a Q-tip, right? I mean, that just, seems like a, that just seems like a good punishment for people like that. Now we laugh, we laugh. But Jonah hated the Ninevites, but let's be honest, don't we kind of hate people that get on our nerves too for minor offenses? And so here's my question. I want you to think about this. Are you willing to admit that you're like Jonah in this way? Here's the question. Who are your Ninevites? Who are the people that you can't stand and that you hope secretly you're like, oh God, don't pay, like they deserve what they get? Is it a coworker that's incompetent? or always demands their way? Is it a super obnoxious neighbor that makes it impossible to want to live next to them? It could be an in-law that acts like an ingrate, a spouse that's just intolerable, a child that loves to rebel. Maybe it's the carefree hippies or the uptight religious zealots, or since it's 2021, maybe it's the rigid Republicans or the liberal Democrats, or the rogue libertarians. Let's be honest, we all have our Ninevites, right? You could just pick from one of those buckets and hate those people forever. Now this July, uh, we're, my family's gonna celebrate four years 
of relocating here to central Indiana. And it's not always been easy, but here's what you need to know. We lived in an area where we were around our family, and so we were like actually anxious to leave family. But what we've discovered about central Indiana is the people here are amazing. We absolutely love the Genesis Church family, the community that we live in, and so many of you have become just like family to us, and we're grateful. But I have to admit, can we stop the tape for a second? I have to admit, where I came from in southern Indiana, we hated Carmel. We hated Carmel. Anything associated with Carmel, we hated. We just assumed that those people were the worst and it mostly had to do with high school sports. That's really what it boiled down to. But I'm just, I'm just being honest, right? So when Casey and I started interviewing for this job and we felt like God was calling us here, I remember, I, I wish we could have caught this on camera, telling my dad. So we've been interviewing at a church. <clears throat> oh, that's great. That's great. Where is it? It's, it's in central Indiana. Well, whereabouts? Carmel. <laughs> and my dad, my dad said, oh, Jerry, no, you can't. I refuse to allow you to raise my grandkids there. Now, he, he laughed, but he was probably about 75% serious, okay? But we all have our Ninevites, right? We all have the people that drive us crazy. And just like Jonah, we have our Ninevites, but we also, just like Jonah, we like to pretend that we love and obey God, and we want to share his message of love as long as the people that we're sharing it with are a lot like us. So Jonah's plan for avoiding God was simple. I'm just gonna go in the opposite direction. And this is when God steps in. So if you're reading in Jonah chapter one, here's what happens. In, in, in verse four, we learn that the Lord sent a great wind and caused a violent storm to come on the sea where Jonah was sailing. He, remember, he went down to the city of Joppa. He got on a boat and all the sailors on this ship are freaking out. They are, they are used to being on the sea. But in this particular instance, these pagan sailors start praying to all of their gods. They know something is up. But you know what Jonah did? If you read the story, he got on the ship, he paid his money, he went down below deck, fell down into sleep, and they came and woke him up and said, dude, you gotta get up, this is, this is terrible, and I want you to listen. They're like, we need you to pray to your God, and listen to Jonah's response. In verse nine, he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. I just, knowing Jonah the little bit that I do, I just think he was so arrogant that it probably came off like, come on. Why'd you wake me up? I'm a Hebrew. You're wasting your time up there praying. Like my God is the God that's causing all of this. The sailors were terrified when they heard this for he had already told him he was running from the Lord. I love this. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned like, why are you so dumb, dude? What is your problem? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Now listen to what he says. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Put yourself in the story. Imagine you're one of these sailors. This guy got on your ship, paid his money, went down, fell asleep, and now he's saying, look, I, it's my God, it's my fault, and if you want it to go away, I want you to throw me overboard. What do you do? Now, you might be tempted to think, oh, Jonah had a change of heart. He actually is starting to care for people. Well, not so quick. Because think about it. If they throw Jonah overboard, his blood is on their innocent hands. And all of a sudden, Jonah gets to wear the title of martyr. Oh, he died at sea trying to do the Lord's will. Nice try, Jonah. 
I am convinced the reason Jonah wanted them to throw him overboard is he refused, absolutely, completely. He refused to do this thing that God wanted him to do. So he's like, I'd rather die. You throw me overboard. You'll be safe. I'll be safe. So look at what happens in verse 15. The sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors, now these are not followers of the one true God. They're pagans, Phoenician pagans. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Even the pagan sailors are like, his God is the real God. We're sorry, but thank you. Here's what's interesting. They throw him overboard. The sea goes calm. And all of a sudden, God gets glory in spite, in spite of all of Jonah's disobedience. I think this is fascinating. And then the next thing that happens in verse 17 is the part of the story that we're pretty familiar with. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Pause. God's prophet Jonah disobeys God. But the wind and the waves obey God. God's prophet Jonah disobeys God and goes down and falls asleep, but the pagan sailors turn to God. God's prophet Jonah disobeys God, refuses to do his thing, but a big fish obeys God. Can you see a pattern here like coming up in Jonah? Jonah is super obedient, disobedient, and everything else, literally fish in the sea, obeys God. And this is the part of the story where we're like, all right, I'm done. You had me up to the big fish that swallowed him in three days. I'm, I'm out. But let me just show you a pattern of rebellion that appears in Jonah's life. Check this out. We talked about this already. He went down to Joppa to find a ship when he said no. And then when he got on the ship, he went down below deck where he hid or where he went down into sleep. He was thrown down into the sea. He was swallowed down by a great fish that took him down to the bottom of the depths. Now, maybe you're not like Jonah. Maybe you've never lived in the belly of a fish, but have you ever seen a pattern like this develop in your life when you're resistant to God? Wouldn't you call it like a downward spiral where you just, you just know, I am not living in obedience to God. Nothing's working out right, and it's my fault. Well, it's kind of like what Jonah did to himself. And here's what's true. I'm willing to, I've, I've done this. In fact, I do this a lot more than I care to admit, but the truth is we all have. Because according to scripture, We all rebel against God, and this is just simply called sin. And a really simple definition of sin is doing things our way instead of God's way. So sin is living in greed and hoarding all of our resources and refusing to be generous to others. Sin is lusting after people or things that don't belong to us. Sin is rebelling against what God wants for us, and that was Jonah's issue, but Jonah's big issue with sin was the sin of pride. And pride, if you've, well, come on, let's be honest. We all struggle with pride, right? Pride conveniently allows us to turn a blind eye to our own sinful shortcomings while at the very same time judging other people that do the same things that we hate in ourselves. And in Jonah's instance, his disobedience, his pride landed him marinating in the gastric juices of a whale for three long days. And if you get to Jonah chapter two, you read that this this beautiful prayer that Jonah prays for deliverance from God. It's a beautiful prayer. It's poetic, but it's weak. And you know why it's weak? He never says he's sorry. He never even admits that he does wrong. He's just like, God, you're good. Get me out of here. 
and writes it in a really pretty way, hoping that God will answer him. It's kind of sickening when you think about it, like a self-righteous prayer like that. He wanted God to save him, but he didn't want God to save his enemies. And apparently that self-righteous prayer was so disgusting that the big fish couldn't take it anymore. So he spit Jonah up on the shore. Now, some versions say spit. Some versions say vomit. He, he vomited him up on the shore. That's a pretty powerful word picture when you think of the damage in our life, right? So just picture you're Jonah and you're back on shore in fish vomit. You've been there for a while. Your skin is burning. You might be thankful to have your eyesight if you're lucky. Just picture the sights and the sounds and the smells while you're washing up, wondering, where am I? What has happened? Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, on the beach, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given to you. Now, don't miss this. Jonah was completely disobedient, and God is still pursuing him. Yeah, I know you ran the other way. I still have a mission for you. I, I, I want you to, I'm giving you a chance to follow, to obey me. So look at verse three. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Picture Los Angeles or New York, like walking through not just like the metropolitan part, but all the, all the little cities and towns that make it up. Huge, massive city. Verse four. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So it looks like Jonah obeys, right? In Hebrew, this is a five-word sentence. And it would appear that he, he's obedient, but do you see God in there anywhere? Any mention of God? Do you see any mention of repentance or forgiveness? It's just like, you all, like you're done. In 40 days, he's going to destroy you. So really, he gave as little effort as possible. He was still resistant to what God wanted to do in and through Nineveh. But here's what's really cool. If you read the story, the people of Nineveh respond in an unexpected way. Look at Jonah 3, verses 5 and 10. The people of Nineveh believed God's message from the greatest to the least, and they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So they, they're like, we're going to do something about this. And then look at what happens in verse 15. When God saw that they, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So in spite of Jonah's disobedience, in spite of Jonah's really poor efforts, God is so good to his enemies, to these wicked people, that because they turned to him, he forgave them and spared their city. Now that's really good news, right? You would think. But again, let's go back to Jonah 4 and look at how Jonah responds. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He was banking on them not repenting. And he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And pay attention to this last sentence. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. What kind of people? Wicked people, evil people. That's how God described it. And Jonah says, I knew you were eager to turn back from destroying them. Here's a question. What right did Jonah have to get, back at God, to, to get mad at God? Did he have a right? I mean, it's not like Jonah was a model citizen. We know a lot about his heart from this story. 
He liked the idea of personally receiving God's goodness and grace and mercy, especially when he was in the belly of a whale, but he could not stomach the idea of that same grace and compassion and mercy being extended to his enemies, the Ninevites. And it's so easy to want to criticize Jonah or to shake our finger and say, what a jerk. But here's what's true. We are all like Jonah, more than we would care to admit. If you keep reading through chapter four, on two different occasions, Jonah is so fed up with God, he says, kill me right now. That's how upset he was that God would save these wicked people. Kill me right now. What a turd. What a terrible person. Now, if you've never read Jonah's story, I want to invite you to check it out this afternoon. It'll take you about 10 minutes, four chapters, packed with details. But here's a good question. What does all this have to do with us today? Well, to answer that question, I want you to hear what Jesus said about Jonah's story. In Luke chapter 11, we read this. As the crowds pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. People were coming from far and wide demanding that Jesus perform a miracle to prove that he is who he claimed to be. But the only sign, Jesus says, the only sign I'll give them is the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus says, what happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. Question, what was the sign of Jonah? It doesn't talk about the message of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Well, just like James Bartley, I believe the sign of Jonah was that this man had been swallowed by a whale. He had lived there for three days. He was probably bleached and disfigured in ways we couldn't even imagine. So when he shows up in this city declaring God's judgment on the city, the sign of Jonah, someone that had been with a, with a scarred body, had this message, and because of that, the people responded. That's the sign of Jonah. Now listen to what Jesus says. He goes on to say this, what happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he, the Son of Man, was sent by God. Now that phrase, the Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, pointing to the fact that he is the long-awaited Messiah that God has promised to send to save all of us, every single one of us from our sins and our wickedness. Jesus's point is that just like Jonah would be disfigured and spend three days in the belly of a whale and come back to the shore, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of Man, would be disfigured for the wickedness of the world. And he would live, he would actually, he wouldn't live, he would die and be put in the belly of the earth for three days and he would come back from the dead to prove that he is exactly who he claimed to be. You might think it's hard to believe that a man could live in a whale. Well, what's harder to believe, that or that a man could predict his death, stay dead and come back from the dead? And it's easy to mock Jesus and say, eh, I don't know, that sounds ludicrous to me, to wanna write that off. And we could say it's crazy, but every single writer of the New Testament says that story is true. Not just the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, but he lived and he died and he rose from the dead to prove that he has the power to do away with sin and death. Jesus has done for us what only Jesus can do. He died in our place. He never sinned. He never rebelled so that when he died, he paid for our sins. And when he rose from the dead, he proves, I can forgive you of anything that you've ever done ever 
All he requires is a simple faith in him, that we would put our trust in him. And he says, you know what? I'll forgive you and I'll ask my father and he'll give, the Holy, he'll give you the Holy Spirit to live inside of you to help you start a new way of life. And that's not just good news. That's the best news ever. So as we end this morning, I wanna take a moment and I wanna invite you to join me on a prayer journey. I wanna invite you to close your eyes and I'd love to lead you through some prayer prompts because I think it's really important that we, just, we understand how much we are like Jonah or how much we're like the Ninevites. So if you wouldn't mind, close your eyes and pray with me and I'm gonna lead you through some things to think about. For those of us that follow Jesus, here's the first thing, I wanna talk to us first. I want you to take a moment to pray and ask for God's help to identify the Ninevites in your life. Who do you struggle to love? Who do you hate? Who makes your blood boil? Who do you secretly hope that God destroys with no hope of heaven? Don't hold back. This is the God that controls the sea and great fish. Don't hold back. Now I want you to take a moment and I want you to confess your hatred towards your enemies. Just tell God about it. Don't play it safe. Go all the way. He knows the details, so you might as well be specific. Verbalize it. If you need to say it out loud, say it out loud. Now here's the hard part. I want to invite you to pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Pray that God will soften your heart towards them. Pray that God will use you to bless them. Pray that God will bring bring peace, his peace, his shalom between the two of you and pray that they come to know Jesus so the two of you can advance God's kingdom of peace together. Here's the last thing. I want to invite you to repent, to do the thing that Jonah didn't do. Say you're sorry, admit that you're wrong. That's all repentance is. Acknowledging sin, turning to God and walking with him. Take a moment to do that. Now I want to talk to anyone here, anyone tuning in online that is far from God, skeptical of Jesus, you name it, living in rebellion against God. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you're just numb to the idea of God. I get it. I understand. I want to challenge you, maybe for the first time in your life, to pray in your heart. Just talk to him right here. Don't hold back. You can give him all your doubts, all your questions, all your hurts. Tell him that you have questions that you're afraid that he might not be able to answer. Now, if you're skeptical of faith, asking you to pray is a pretty big step, but I want to ask you to take another big step. Would you be willing to admit that just like Jonah, just like the Ninevites, just like me, just like everyone else, Would you be willing to admit that you have sinned against God?
you have gone in the opposite direction. You've ignored God's plan for your life. Take a moment and admit that. Now, if you're admitting, if you're agreeing to admit to that, here's another big step, but this is a life-giving step. What if you could receive right now the gift of forgiveness that Jesus offers? You can. You can pray, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I admit I am a sinner. I have run away from you. I receive your sacrifice on my behalf. I admit I am wrong and I want the new life that you have. You can receive it right now. The choice is yours, it just requires faith in Jesus. Here's the last thing. Tell somebody. Share that with someone. Talk to the person that you came with. Call your parents. Call your siblings. Come find me up front. Drop us a comment in the comment section. We would love to celebrate that decision with you. Because when you put your trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are adopted into God's family and a whole new life waits for you. But you don't have to do it. You can't do it alone. So share that with someone. Now, as we close, I want to pray over us the same words that Jonah declared to God in Psalm 86. Oh, Lord. You are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble and you will answer me. No pagan God anywhere is like you. No one can do what you do. For you are great and you perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart, I praise you, O Lord, my God. I will give glory to your name forever. For your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the, from the uh, depths of death. And you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Father, we believe those words are true. Holy Spirit, would you move in us as a church family? I pray for my friends today that are willing to admit I am far from God. Would you, Holy Spirit, would you draw them near through faith in Jesus? We love you. We praise you. Jesus, I pray throughout this week that you would show us who our Ninevites are. And would you, Holy Spirit, convict us to not be like Jonah, but to be like Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for what you sacrificed for us. It's in your name we pray.